So we're in this After This series. We're talking about what happens after this. Last week we talked about this idea that eternity demands priority. This week we're talking about heaven. Close your eyes for a second. I'm going to make you do this a couple times this morning, so it's okay. Don't worry. I know you're from New England. You don't trust anybody, but just give me a break. I'm not going to steal your wallet or anything like that. I'm standing upon the seashore. A ship at my side spreads her white sails to the morning breeze and starts for the blue ocean. She's an object of beauty and strength. Just see it. Go ahead. And I stand and I watch until she hangs like a speck of white cloud just where the sea and the sky come down to mingle with each other. Then someone at my side says, there she goes. Gone where? Gone from my sight, that is all. She's just as large in mast and hull and spar as she was when she left my side. And just as able to bear her load of living freight to the place of destination. Her diminished size is in me, not in her. And just at the moment when someone at my side says, there she goes, there are other eyes watching her coming and other voices ready to take up the glad shout, here she comes. You can open your eyes. You know, um, I can't explain it, neither can you, but our hearts know that there is something beyond this life. Our hearts know that there is something real, something beyond this life, you know, atheists have been trying to convince our culture for decades that there is not, and still 90% or more of people in America believe that there is. There's something inside of us that just knows that beyond this life there is more, you know, white shores and beyond, you know. And so last week we talked about this idea in after this, first that life is short, right? You guys remember that if you're here, if you weren't, you can grab the podcast that life is short and, and kind of emphasizing that, you know what I mean? Because the truth is that we don't live like that very often. We get kind of built up, caught up in this world and we forget that this life is desperately short and then things kind of rattle our cage and bring us back to reality and we realize, wow, life is really short. And then this idea that we're eternal, that we are beings, that Jesus, that God put eternity in our hearts. And so we'll be somewhere forever in this eternal idea. And then this idea that death is final, that it is a door that closes. And once it's closed, it can't be opened again. And so life is short. You know, we're eternal. Death is final. And so the big idea for last week was this idea that eternity demands priority. I think we're just going to have some fun and say that together. Okay? You ready? Eternity demands priority. Eternity demands priority. You can write it on your you know, mirror in the morning. You can get a tattoo that says that on your forehead. Whatever it's going to do that uh, you know, is going to help you remember that eternity demands, demands my priority. So um, you know, why do we emphasize this so much? Because we live in a desperately temporal world, don't we? Consumed by the things that are so temporary. I was thinking about it the other day. I was trying to think of like an analogy. And all I could think of was like a soldier. In battle, most of us probably haven't been in battle, but we've seen the movie, so we know what it's like, right? Because it's pretty much exactly like the movies make it look like. And so, you know, you're there, and I'm just kidding, and so you're there, and you know, there's people dying, your friend is bleeding next to you, you know, like people are shooting at your head, you know, with a machine gun, you're behind some, you know, in some foxhole, hiding out, and you look over at the guy next to you, he's like, you know, he's wetting his pants or whatever, and you look at him and you go, do you think these socks go with these boots? You know, and, they're, and he's like, what? I mean, I got the white socks, I got the whole fatigue thing going on, but white socks, do you think that that kind of cramps my whole deal? And he looks at you and he's like, what are you talking, you know, don't, I mean, come on, these socks, they don't really work with the boots, I mean, and the, and the, the pants, the whole thing just doesn't, do you think it flows? 
You know, and, and, and he'll, you know, that is just foolish, right? I mean, that's ridiculous. Nobody would ever think to say something so foolish, so stupid in that moment. And that's kind of the only analogy I could think of that, like, we get so caught up in things that in the big scheme of God's plan mean literally nothing. And, um, you know, this Christian life has to be centered on this idea of eternity. And people get weirded out by that because they're like, hold on, Justin, you know, like, we want to, you know, it's not like, you know, fear of hell should be that my motivation to come to God. And it's not like the promises of heaven should be my motivation. I want to come to God because he's, and I understand that. You want to come to God because he's real and because he's life. Not because there's an afterlife or because, you know, promises of pie in the sky or something like that. I understand what you're trying to say there, but the, at, the, at the bigger picture of life, eternity has huge ramifications and informs why we live today. You know, the Apostle Paul, he said, listen... If, I, if he's talking about the dead being raised, he says, if the dead are not raised and Christ was not raised, then we Christians of all people are most pitied. Because he's like, listen, I'm getting beat up, I'm getting thrown in jail, I'm getting whipped and tortured, all for the name of Christ. And if Christ was not raised, then this whole thing that I've built my life on is worth nothing. And so you've got to take a, you've got to take a bet. And the Christian bet is, I believe, I believe, I believe that there's something beyond this life. And that something is worth everything. And eternity demands my priority. So, you know, in Matthew 25, we looked at this last week, this idea that it speaks about eternal life, right? It says eternal punishment and eternal life. And it uses that same word for eternal. And that word means ongoing forever. So in other words, your soul will exist forever according to the scripture. There's no soul death. There's no extinction of the human. Once God plants eternity in your heart, the day that you're conceived, that human soul will exist for all time, either in place of punishment or a place of great life. And so today we want to look at this place of great life. And next week we'll look at the place of punishment. But um, I want to give you a glimpse today into heaven. Doesn't that sound fun? I mean, it sounds cool to me. So go ahead and pass out those drugs, guys. Let's pass it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It was a joke. It was a joke. Listen, I'm just, you know, hey, listen, it's not going to get you there. It's not, some of you guys know it's not going to get you there. It's fake. So let's get to the real thing. Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57. I'm going to read one passage in the scripture, and then um, we're going to dig into what heaven looks like. Sound good? All right, now some of us, I know we probably all came from different backgrounds. And the truth is most of us are probably not spending the majority of our days thinking about what heaven looks like. And so what I'm telling you today is that what I'm about to share with you has huge implications for how you live today. Okay? And I'll break it down so that you can see that. Isaiah 57, and I'm going to read verse 15. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Your translation of the Bible may be slightly different. If you brought a Bible, you can follow along. If not, it's going to be up on the screen. I'll read 57, uh, verse 15. We'll just do verse 15 for now. And thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart. Of the contrite. Okay, so in Genesis 1-1, God lays out the idea that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Two unique, distinct realms, right? Two specific, different realms that God created, the heavens and the earth. And so in this passage, and there's many more, God begins to describe the heavens. And the first thing he tells us is it's high. It's high, okay? So there's an immediate problem. 
because it's not just physically high. He's not saying like, hey, it's physically high alone. What he's saying is it's high. It's higher than your intellect can grasp. It's higher than the smartest person on planet Earth could ever picture. It's higher than your emotions have experienced. It's higher than your senses have experienced. It is altogether high. Hopefully you're not altogether high right now, but it's altogether above us is what I'm saying. It's altogether above us. So close your eyes. This is the second time. I told you I was going to do this to you twice. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. I want you to pretend for a second, everybody, even the the most, you know, whatever, person that hates God, work with me here. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. And I want you to pretend for a second. Don't open your eyes. Pretend for a second that you were born blind. I know this is almost unimaginable. But I want to try to put your feet in the shoes of a person that was born blind. You've never seen color. You get shadows and, you know, glimmers of light when light reflects off your face. But you've never seen color or image. You've never seen a sunrise or a person's face. Just imagine that for a sec. You have no paradigm for what color even means. Okay? And I want you to pretend for a second. I know this is not possible in America really. But pretend for a second that you've never tasted an orange. Never tasted orange juice, never eaten an orange, never in your entire life. Keep your eyes closed. I'm holding right now in my hand an orange. And that orange has a specific color. And I'm going to try to, you know, it's kind of like red, but you've never seen red, so that's hard. to. But it's kind of like yellow, but you've never actually seen yellow either. So it's kind of hard for you to get an idea. It's this, like, brilliant color. And that's about as best I can do. And then the taste. I know you've never tasted it before, and it's, it's sweet. It's citrusy. But that doesn't really mean anything to you because you've never had anything citrusy. But I'm telling you, it's really sweet. It's, it's, it's very, almost like a grape, but not really anything like a grape, but sort of the same kind of juicy, citru- you know, sort of like there's no citrus in a grape. You know, like, but it's got this sort of, you know, okay, open your eyes. See how bad I'm doing at this? See how tough this is? Anybody want an orange? Tasty orange? There you go, Corey. You can have an orange. It's a delicious one. It's rich and vibrant and now on the floor. And so um, what I'm telling you today is that when you begin to describe something that you have no grid to, 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 you know, to put next to, all explanations fall drastically short. So we're going to try to do something that's already, I just told you, is impossible to do for the next few minutes, okay? And so the, the Bible describes it like this. It says, listen, heaven is the throne of the Lord. And all these are pictures. Don't get caught up on this. Like he's got his feet hanging out here or something. Heaven is the throne of the Lord, but the earth is his footstool. The earth is his footstool. So let's take a look at the footstool for a second. Throw that first picture up there. These are just some images I snagged. I mean, this image just kind of, you know, makes me want to go camping. You know? I mean, it's just like, man. Look at that, how the fog sits. And I remember seeing places like this through West Virginia, you know, traveling through, just seeing these gorgeous, beautiful rivers that kind of snake through these mountains. And the sun comes up and it just, just takes your breath away. Go ahead, throw the next one up there. I don't know if you've ever seen just mountains with a, with a, I remember when I was in Iceland, just looking out the window and seeing these colossal mountains, these mountains that just absolutely took my breath away. Go ahead and throw the next one up there. I was in Florida a while ago, and I saw this sunset that just absolutely blew my mind. I walked out. Maybe this has happened to you. I walked out. The sun was setting, and it was breaking through the clouds, and I thought, Jesus is definitely coming back right now. I mean, it was just one of those moments. It was just like, wow, wow. Have you ever been blown away by the beauty of nature? I mean, if you have eyes, you probably have, right? I mean, the beauty of nature is just one of those things that is just overwhelming to us. 
And you know what the scripture describes? It describes heaven as the throne and earth, just try to stay with this, earth as the footstool. And so you think about that and you think, well, what's more glorious? What's more ornate? What's more beautiful? Is it the throne or is it the thing the guy puts his feet on? And typically they match those things, right? If you're like my wife, everything matches in the world. And so, you know, they match those things. And so, you know, they put the same kind of covering on the footstool as they do on the throne. But you would never say, boy, I'd like to sit on that footstool for the rest of my days. You know, like, no, you wouldn't want to because it's not really made for that. It's not made for long-term sitting, right? It's just made for, uh, you know, for the feet. And so, you know, it has a glimmer or a glimpse or a shadow. And this is what the church, this is what the Bible describes as the earth. It's a shadow of the thing to come right and so you think about a shadow you know a shadow you look at there's my shadow can you see that can you guys see my shadow can you see it on the stage there it is you know it just doesn't really do me justice does it you know i got some green eyes where the heck are my green eyes you know what i'm saying i got this purple looking vest on where's the purple looking vest you know what i'm saying i mean i've got a big smile you can't see that my shadow didn't change at all when I smiled. You see, the shadow is just, just, a, just, a, just a frame, just a glimpse of the person. You don't get the beauty of the person in the shadow. You just get a kind of a glimmer, kind of a glimpse. What I'm telling you is this earth is just a glimmer, just a glimpse, but in heaven... Heaven is a place that your heart already knows. It knows because God planted eternity in it. So the things you see on earth that you say, that is not right. It is not right that that girl was raped. It is not right to see them weeping and in pain. It is not right that they are dying of cancer. It is not right when you see this injustice, this sickness, this poverty. You see all these things and something inside you says, no, it is not right. It is not right. It is not supposed to be that way. It's because you are already know your true home is heaven heaven is what you're looking for a place where there is not sickness it is divine and utter reality we try to think of it well is it a place well yeah i mean it's a place but it's it's beyond the place it's beyond location and space heaven it's a place of the spirit see we live in a physical world and heaven is a spirit place it is higher than us you following me today? It's higher than us. And so the Bible uses all these images. And people like, they think, you know, I'm going to get there and somebody's going to hand me a harp. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going to float on a cloud. And listen, I'm not about to say that I've got the corner on heaven. I haven't been there and I don't exactly know what it's like. But I believe that a lot of those images are really pictures, okay? So it speaks of streets of gold, right? But gold is a substance that never rusts. It's a substance that never loses its value. Rust cannot grow on gold. And so gold is this substance that, that embodies eternal or consistent or sustained. And so streets, which are the way that you operate, the way that you go from place to place, are eternal streets. You see what I'm saying? It speaks of crowns. And I don't know if somebody's going to hand me a crown or not, if that's an image or if that's really going to happen. But I know that a crown speaks of glory, that God is going to share his glory with his people for all eternity. And so it speaks of these crowns that we're going to be given. It's a crazy idea. All these images speaks of harps and, you know, but a harp, you know, has this sound of peace. I have this sound on my phone that I wake up to and it is just like the most, like most people wake up to, meh, 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 you know, um, do you wake up to that? Raise your hand if you wake up to like, yeah, painful. Not me, man. I wake up. Let me, let me just share with you. Let me just come into my world a little bit. 
calendar. No, that's not the one. Reminder. Where the heck is this thing? Ringtone. That's not it. Sounds. It's this beautiful. You guys know if you have the sound. We're going to try to find it, though. Where's the harp? Okay. Justin's about as competent as a chimpanzee on that thing. But uh, it goes like this. And that's what I wake up to every day. I'm like, laying next to my wife, I'm in heaven. This is beautiful. And so, you know, I get up and uh, my breath smells terrible and I've realized I'm not in heaven. But, but you know, um, what I'm saying is this idea of a harp is not just, you know, that you're going to play one. But it's this, this idea of peace, this idea of joy, this idea of, of everlasting comfort. And some of you are thinking right now, Justin, this is like fairy tale stuff. This isn't real. Well, hold on a second. Who gave man the mind to dream up a fairy tale? I'm not saying every fairy tale is a picture of heaven. But who gave man a mind to dream up a fairy tale? Was it not the God who created a place that we have not yet been, but that speaks to the things that we long for? Is it not God that gave us that, that ambition, that desire for that type of place? The Apostle Paul describes it like this. He says he was caught up and he heard things that cannot be told, that man may not utter. This is the way that he describes the man who saw eternity, who saw heaven. I saw you know, a place where man could not even speak the things. That are being said. If you go back to verse 15, it says, This said, the one who's high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. I love that. I've been meditating on that phrase all week. Who inhabits. What he's saying is, to inhabit, it always speaks to me like I inhabit my house, like I'm there. That's the specific place I am. But eternity means to stretch out in all directions for all time. And so I inhabit eternity. It's like a, a contradiction of terms. You know, like, wait, you inhabit eternity. And then he says, it's a holy place, right? A high, I dwell in a high and holy place. A place that is set apart. This word holy, set apart, sacred. This holy place. You know, the other night, I was praying. Maybe this has never happened to you. If it has not happened to you, listen to me right now. God has more for you. I was just praying. I was just worshiping. I, I decided, you know, I'm going to read a book, but I'm going to just pray for a few minutes. That was my plan. Five minutes goes by, and the presence of Jesus fills my little office at home. And I'm just, all of a sudden, the peace of God is like a blanket on my soul. And I'm worshiping Jesus, no music, no, just me and Jesus alone. And all of a sudden, ten minutes goes by. And then an hour goes by, and I realize I'm not going to be reading that book. And I'm just alone with God, and I want to leave because I've got other things I need to do. But there's just this presence of the Lord that is wrapped around me, this nearness of God, this intimacy with God that I cannot even put into words. I can't articulate. You know what that is? It's a little taste of eternity. It's a little taste of heaven. It's a little taste of the nearness of God. And I want to tell you the explosion of peace in my soul as I worship him, as he's near to me, as he draws close to me, far exceeds any earthly pleasure. Far exceeds it. Why? Because I was made for this. I was made to commune with my maker. And if you don't know that type of peace, that type of intimacy, let me tell you, it is available to all. Not to the spiritually elite, not to those that have enough you know, status or have read the Bible enough, but to all who would call upon his name, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. You get tastes of heaven on earth. So I want to go to a place like that. Do you want to go to a place like that? 
I want to go to a place like that. And you know, the thing I realized right away is that I'm not qualified to go to a place like that. And so the scripture teaches, well, how do we get to a place like that? And of course, Jesus steps into time and says, hey, hello, I am the door. That's his claim. He says, check this out. I'm the door. You've got earth. You've got heaven. You've got two distinct realms that God created. I'm the door from one to the other. If you would just walk through me, you would reach that other realm. And so in John chapter 3, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, you've probably heard it before. I want to read it and then I'll read the next verse after it as well. Next two verses, it says, for God so loved, say so loved. Right. He's so loved. And this is that word agape. If you're here a few weeks ago, this word of divine love, this word of just uncomparable love, not human love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right. That whoever believes in him should not perish. Right. Should not stay. And that's not extinction. Perish. Perish. That is stay in a place of punishment and judgment for their own sins for all eternity, but have everlasting, eternal, ongoing life. For God did not send his son, check this out, into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved. Everybody say that next word. Through, you said the next two words. Through him, right? Through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Isn't that incredible news? I am, it doesn't say whoever does all the things God wants, whoever obeys all the laws perfectly, whoever never messes up. It doesn't say any of those things because that would disqualify all of us. Instead, it says whoever believes is not condemned, oh, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The scripture is making a huge claim here. It is saying that Jesus is the door, that there is no other door, that there is no other window, that I can't sneak in in the back that there's one door and if I would just walk through it not by my deeds by my actions by my own righteousness but just through faith if I would walk through this door I could have eternal life is that not crazy awesome news now I don't know about you but maybe you've heard that you say yeah Justin I'm a Christian I already know that that should blow you away every day that should be like God I'm going there I don't I'm a I'm such a dork, God. I don't deserve that type of place. I don't deserve that type of blessing. But it is not based on my deeds. It is based on the exchange that happened on the cross that all of my sin was put on Christ and all of his perfection and righteousness was put on me. And by grace, I have been saved. He has washed me. He has cleansed me. He has come to live inside of me. I walk in through the door. Second Corinthians. Because now... The foundation of our life, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians, is Jesus. The foundation of our life is Jesus, and then we're supposed to build on that foundation. This is really what I want to get to, the economy of heaven, how this thing works, okay? I've been meditating on this verse for probably the last, like, not even joking, maybe four months uh, in, in, second, in 1 Corinthians. And it has just been one of those verses that I've chewed on. I've looked up every word in the Greek. I've, you know, sought through this passage. And you know what I've come to realize? It says what it says. There's no little trick, no little mystery here. This thing just says what it says. So let's read it together where the Apostle Paul speaks of first the foundation that we lay, which is Christ, which we cannot earn or deserve, and then how we build upon that foundation. Check this out. For no one can lay, this is verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 3, for no one can lay a foundation. You're all awake, right? It's not daylight savings. You don't get to be you know, groggy today. For, all, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Which is what we just said, what we read in, first, in, in John chapter 3, right? That Christ gives us access, right? 
And then he says this. This will blow you away because most of us have never studied this. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation... So what he's telling you is you're supposed to build on the foundation. Now, uh, Galatians, the entire book of Galatians shows us that you don't build on the foundation with your own works. You don't go, all right, Jesus, you saved me. Now it's my turn. Let me save me. Like, let me do good things now. Wrong. That's not the way you do this. You do this all by faith in Christ. Grace-driven effort. Effort that is propelled and driven by the grace of God in me, not by self, right? But he goes, if anyone builds a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, Hey, straw. So there's a little bit of a difference between straw and gold, right? How many would prefer gold? Yeah, I mean, typically a couple of you would prefer straw. That's strange. But either way, you know, so one is long-lasting and one is very temporal, right? Now, you could build a gorgeous house out of straw. I mean, I couldn't build a house out of anything. But you could build a nice house out of wood, right? I mean, you could build the thatch roof, you know, and the whole deal. You could build a beautiful house out of straw. But the problem is that the, you know, the wolf will come over and blow it down. It's not stable, right? It's not solid. But this gold, silver, precious stones is something that is long-lasting, right? So he's speaking about using eternal materials or using temporal materials. So check this out. He says, now if anyone builds with all these different materials, each one's work will become manifest for the day. That's the day of judgment. The day you stand before God will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a... Go ahead and say it. Yeah. He'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Wow. Wow. This is huge, guys. This is a huge idea. See, here's the first danger. That you could build a beautiful home that impresses everyone. A nice church if you're in ministry. You could build a gorgeous family if you're not particularly in ministry, but you focus on you know, seeing your family. Go. You could give a lot of money. You could do a lot of good deeds. But if you do them with the wrong motive, they have no eternal reward. What I'm telling you is you could give all this money, you could do all this stuff, you could build a beautiful ministry, serve the poor, help God, you know, or help, you know, uh, do the things of God. But if you do not have the heart that is on eternal priorities, if it is for selfish ambition, self-gain, self-glory, what you're gonna ha- what's gonna happen is you're gonna build this glorious house and you're gonna step into eternity and boom, it's all gone. And you stand there just on your foundation, which is Christ. And you step in. Or you can build an entire life focused on eternal priorities. I was reading something by a pastor. You may have heard of him. He's relatively well known. His name is John Piper. And uh, he he did all these different uh, passages in the Bible. I'm just going to read a portion of it. Different passages in the Bible where it speaks of our motivation. Okay, and this just kind of grabbed me. So hopefully it grabs you today. It's a lot of scripture, so just try to stay with me. These are all the words of Jesus, all about our motivation. And if you didn't ever read the words of Jesus, you'll quickly realize that Jesus was all about heaven. He constantly talked about heaven. In fact, he was sort of like, you know, one of those people where heaven was far more real to him than earth. 
Like when he just, when, as he talked and as he just, you know, did these, you know, different things that he did, like he always acted as if, as if like we were the idiots for not, you know, uh, believing in, in, uh, in heaven, not acting. Like there's this one scene, you know, that I was just reading the other day, I was, I was studying the book of Luke, where Jesus is sleeping on the, this doesn't have anything directly to do with the sermon, but where Jesus is sleeping on the, uh, the boat, right? Maybe you know the story and the disciples are all, you know, the wind is crashing. I just, I love, I just keep coming back to it. I love this scene because the wind is crashing and the disciples are freaking out and Jesus is totally passed out sleeping. And so they finally wake him up. They're like, we're going to die. And he gets up and I can just see him, you know, big beard, all groggy. And he looks out, he goes, just, Hey, stop it. Everything stops. He look at them and goes, where's your faith? I mean, like, they're like, what, what are you, where, what? I mean, he's, they're totally blown away because it's like, what, you expected us to think you were going to do that? Like, what does that even mean? But this guy lived in a place where eternity was so much greater than temporary things. And so he makes all these claims all throughout the Gospels, and I'm going to read a bunch of them today. The motivation for sacrificial generosity. There's no natural motivation for this, but there is a divine motivation. And Jesus gives it. When you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid. Listen to the promise. At the resurrection of the righteous. The motivation for loving your enemy. But love your enemies and do good. Lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High. Motivation for simplicity and charity. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make for yourself purses which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, no moth or rust destroys, a motivation for enduring persecution with joy. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you the same and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great motivation for avoiding lust. I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her in his heart. But if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you listen to the contrast of what is real that he is saying right here for it is better for you for one of your parts of your body to perish than for the whole body to be thrown into hell motivation for fear uh, to not fear death in the cause of the gospel he says i say to you my friends do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do but i warn you whom to fear Fear the one who, after he's killed, has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Motivation motivation to bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Motivation to be doers and not just hearers of Jesus. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like the man who's built his house on the ground without any foundation. The torrent bursts against it and immediately it collapses and its ruin of the house is great. Motivation to give our lives away for the gospel. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Here's the big idea that I've been trying to get to all day, okay? The big idea that I want you to think about that is kind of just one of those areas that you have to stop and meditate on it for a second. Christ rewards us for eternity based on how we lived for eternity on earth. Did you catch that? Christ rewards us for all time. Christ rewards us. Check this out. Christ rewards you for eternity, for all time. Christ rewards us for eternity based on how we lived for eternity while on earth. If you have the courage to live for eternity on earth, all the rewards of heaven are focused in your direction. The other day, I was talking with my son, and we pray for... um, 
for uh, Pastor Youssef Nadarkani. You may not know who he is. Maybe you do. He's in Iran right now. He's been in prison for the last two and a half years. He is in prison because he's a pastor of a Christian church. He's been sentenced to death. The Ayatollah in Iran has, has uh, said that he will be killed for his faith. And it's day to day whether he, or not he will survive. He has two sons. They're a little older than my son. They're seven and nine years old. I've talked about him a couple times, and me and my son pray for him all the time. And I started to explain to my son the fact that he was in prison when Gabe is five years old. And, you know, I'm talking about how he's in prison and how, how terrible it would be if I was in prison and that, you know, it must be very difficult for his sons and for his wife because they don't get to see their dad and because he's, you know, supposed to get killed. And I tried to explain to Gabriel, you know, um, he's in prison because he won't deny Jesus. And I said, listen, if, if Pastor Yusuf would just say that Jesus was not the Christ, the, they, the Ayatollah said that they would release him. He'd be able to go back to his family. And so Gabriel's going, well, Daddy, then why doesn't he just say that? You know, for a, for a five-year-old, he's like, he has his family, his, his kids. You know, why doesn't he just say that, Dad? And I said to him, well, because Christ rewards us for eternity based on how we live for eternity on earth. No, I didn't actually say that to him. But, but, but that's the idea. I said, listen, man. I, you know, I didn't say that either. But I said, son, the idea is that if you will hold true to the, to the cause of Christ in this earth, that the rewards in heaven far exceed the sacrifice on this earth. That the Christian life is convinced. The, the true Christian life is convinced. You know, Paul talks about this. He says, he says listen, the, uh, these momentary light afflictions are storing up for me an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond comparison. Momentary light afflictions? The guy was getting whipped. He was getting beaten. He was getting thrown in prison. And he's thinking, ha, these little things that they're doing, this it doesn't compare to the glory. See, he got a glimpse of eternity. He was living for something beyond this life. And see, it's not like this selfish thing. Some of you say, well, wait a second. Like, you know, if it's all about rewards, then shouldn't I be selfish? No, actually, Jesus redeems our desire for success. And this is kind of a hard idea to get your mind around. But when you come to Christ, your life is, the, the spirit of Jesus gets planted in your heart. And from that moment, your life is propelled by a desire to please God. And that desire to please God should inform every aspect of who you are, should invade every compartment of your life. And when that desire to please God begins to invade your life, guess what you find out? You find out that he wants you to do these eternal things. And you say, God, I don't do this simply for a reward. I do this because you, it pleases you and guess what the reward is christ christ and so the theologians have wrestled with this and yes there's levels of greater glory in heaven and yes there's levels of of greater joy and this is a hard idea to understand because like we said heaven is higher and so the whole concept of heaven is beyond but we do know that there is one that we can trust with all our hearts and he says i will reward you greatly every time you live for eternity on earth C.S. Lewis said it like this. I really like this. He said, aim at heaven and you'll get the earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Last week we spoke of being rich toward God. Rich toward God. Remember, rich means I give my whole life. I give all that I am. And then toward means this is the direction that I'm pointing. So my life is pointed at living for eternal things. Let's just get really practical for a second. What about you? Like, what about you? Is your life rich toward God? Now, there's two people, um, and the band can come up. We're going to do uh, 
something special today, but the band can come up. Um, there's two people I want to talk to really briefly. And the first is that you're here and you haven't laid the foundation. That the foundation hasn't been laid, which is Christ. And you don't have any other door. Don't skip the foundation. See, that's what some of us are so tempted to do. We go to say, okay, I'll do more for God. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do nicer deeds or I'll do better things. And, and you didn't even put the foundation down. And so you start to do these things, but it comes out of your own heart. It comes out of self rather than out of Christ. And so you're doing all these things, trying to earn his reward, but your righteousness is filthy rags. And so if you're here today and you haven't walked through the door, which is Christ himself, well, then that's where this whole thing begins. And the door, who is Christ, means that you come to a place of repentance and faith. Repentance means I turn from my way. Faith means I trust and believe that your sacrifice on the cross goes to my account. And that you've forgiven me, and that you've washed me, and that you've accepted me. Not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done. But then the other person here is that you've been building on the foundation... And that building that you've been constructing is made of straw and hay and wood. And yeah, you're a Christian, but your whole life is kind of centered in the temporal rather than the eternal. Listen, is this you? Where, you know, if you're honest, you know, you're not, you're not aiming. Your, your life is not, you know, uh, rich toward God. But your life is consumed with a thousand other little things. And you're always, you know, oh, I'm, I'm focused on this and I'm focused on that. And when you get down to it, what do I value? What do I really value? Well, look at how you treat your family. Look at how you spend your money. Here's a good one. Look at how many people you've shared Jesus with. Because these are telltale signs of what do I value. And if you say, no, Justin, I value eternity, but my money all goes to me and my things and what I want. You know, my family's all about if it makes me happy. You know, my, uh, I never share my faith on, you know, at really, I don't give to the poor. I don't spend my time on eternal things. I don't even have five minutes with God a day alone in prayer. You know, really? And we're going to say that we value eternity? No, no, we don't. You're building a house that's not going to come with you. You're building a house that is not eternal. So I want to urge you this morning to reflect on your priorities and to be people that live for the reward of heaven. Last passage of scripture. John chapter 6. Check this out. John chapter 6, verse 32 and 33. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. If you know the story, when the people of Israel were in the wilderness, bread fell from heaven. They called it manna. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now, what does bread represent? It represents our substance, our life, right? Our ability to sustain ourselves. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 